So we're in the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts, and we're moving into chapter 2, and we've been stressing that it, that it doesn't matter what we are facing in life, whatever, whatever we're facing in our own personal life, whatever we're facing as a church, whatever we're facing in our country or our world, it doesn't matter what we're facing because we can still live in victory because of the Holy Spirit's power. That's the theme of the book of Acts. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power in our life. And today we land in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, where the Holy Spirit comes with power. You came the right week for this one because the Holy Spirit comes with power, Acts chapter 2. And first I want to start off with a, a story, another car story. It's not my VW. It's a different one, car story this time. Uh, since we're on this whole car story theme, I remember when I was in high school and we finished the swim season and so we had a swim party at our coach's house. And at the coach he had a big spaghetti dinner and the whole swim team was there and it was a co-ed team because there was no girl teams back then. A couple girls were on the team. And one of the, uh, one of the girls came in afterward and said, my car won't start. Uh, I went, she went to get in the car and now, if you think this was a bad winter, Forget about it. You know, this is this is this is like you know what we just went through was like you know April where I grew up. You know, so it was cold and snow and cars wouldn't start all the time. And and so the coach said, okay, let's get this car started. We all knew the drill. You had to push it. You know, and uh, I, they still do that, right? You you put you you start pushing the car and you pop it into gear and it starts, right? You know, push start. Anybody ever push start a car? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, they still do that. Okay, good. Because the automatics, you can't do it, obviously. But with the manuals, you could push start it. And so we all go out there and we get our stuff on and, you know, and it's freezing cold, you know, and, and uh, we all get ready to push the car. And, and, the, and the, the coach says to the girl, her name was Kelly, says, get out of there. Let me do that. You know, you know, he, you know she's like, you could tell she was all upset. You know, she got out, you know, because coach told her, let me let a, let a man do it. Right. So he gets in and he says, OK, start pushing. And so we start pushing. Down. I'll never forget the, the roads. There's no pavement. There, you know, where I grew up, there's no pavement for months and months. You know, there's a layer of ice, and we're sliding and pushing and sliding and freezing. None of us had our gloves. We're at a party, right? So we're pushing and freezing, and I'll never forget we were pushing, and all of a sudden he pops it in the air and almost starts, and it didn't start. Oh, we we're like, okay, do it again, and we start pushing. Again. This went on. We pushed it at least a mile down the road, and now we're swimmers. We're in shape. It's no big deal. Farm kids too, and but it was freezing. I'll never forget. My ears were freezing. My hands were freezing. And, you know, it was so cold, and we're pushing, 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 and and hit it again. Nothing. Kept. He goes, all right, turn it around. Let's go back toward the house. We're pushing it the other way now, and we get we get back there, and it just would not start. Every time he popped it, it would almost start, and it wouldn't start. And we're like, oh. Man, we're freezing. And, and I'll never forget, we all kind of gathered around the car, and we're like, what are we going to do now? And, and I'll never forget, the coach had the window down. He's like, oh, no, and he puts his head down on the steering wheel. I'm like, what? He goes, I forgot to turn the key on. <laughs> and, and Kelly goes, well, even I knew how to do that. Yeah, she, oh, she let him have it all. And sure enough, he turned the key on, boom, 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 it's gone. She drove off, you know? Oh, that was funny. The whole key was turning on the key, right? That was the whole key. And so many of us in our Christian life try to live our Christian life in our own power, in our own power. And we end up discouraged and tired, 
Nobody, anybody relate to that? We end up spiritually cold, <laughs> just like we were freezing, pushing, spiritually cold, and not getting anywhere. We don't get anywhere spiritually. I'm going to give you the key. I'm not. The Bible's going to give us the key today in chapter Acts chapter 2 to turn, the key to turn on and to spiritually take off spiritually today. Taking off, turning on and taking off. And oh, I'm going to give it away. It's the Holy Spirit, all right? Let's pray. Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word now. We just ask for your Holy Spirit's power in our lives, that you would fill us in a special way on this communion service. And Lord, I just pray that I know all of us get stuck constantly. I just pray you help us to move forward in our spiritual life through the Holy Spirit's power. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage. Acts chapter 2, we're going to do the first 13 verses. Uh, don't miss next week. We're going to go even further with it. But when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears them in his own language? Each of us hears them in his own language. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Okay, so here we are. As you know, we went through chapter 1 already, and we have this motley crew. Jesus has this motley crew, really, this, this, this bunch of dodos, we keep calling them. The, uh, the treasurer has committed suicide. Peter, the, 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 the leader, has denied Jesus. They're all in hiding. Remember what happened before the ascension? They're all, uh, before the resurrection and the ascension, they're all in hiding. Only the women are brave enough to own up to Jesus or look for him, right? It, it, it's, uh, and then Jesus shows up, and then he, said, he shows up, then he says, I'm leaving, now go change the world. Really, that's what happened. I'm leaving, go change the world, right? And, and they're like, what? There's only 120 of them. Have we talked about that? There's only 120 of them. Jesus spent three years, three years of blood, sweat, and tears, and his church was only 120 people? He wouldn't have done well, and, uh, you know, he wouldn't have been asked to speak at any of the conferences, would he have? And so, but then, but then the Holy Spirit hits them here, and they turned the world upside down. In the first century, there were one million converts. People who turned to Christ, and that was a lot smaller world back then, a million. And it just kept on going for the first 300 years. It was unbelievable. Acts 1.8 is being fulfilled here. Remember Acts 1.8 when we talked about that? And when, uh, 
what Jesus said. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And, and that's exactly what has happened and fulfilled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and they began to witness powerfully. Wait till we see next week, Peter's super sermon, preaching in the Spirit. They began to witness powerfully. The, they have tongues of fire that sets their tongues on fire, right? The tongues of fire sets their tongues on fire. They're able to speak and witness in other languages. Now, this is a tricky subject, but I'm going to take a stab at it, all right? From this point on, from this point on, believers receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you put your faith in Jesus, you say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I repent of my sins. I put my faith in Jesus to, for, for, for my forgiveness. I put my faith in Jesus, what he did on that cross for me, dying for me. I put my faith in him. I give my life to him. At that moment, we receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. From this time on, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. In fact, in chapter... Acts chapter 2, a little later on, which we'll study in a couple weeks, verse 38, Peter says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He promises us that we all receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. And we also know that we're commanded to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us on a daily basis. Remember we talked about that before? The Holy Spirit, we, now we have the Holy Spirit, but we're still, we're, we're still told to allow him to fill us. It's like getting the cell phone. Remember I talked about parents, uh, you know, they give their kid a cell phone so they can communicate and stay in communion with them, connected with them, right? Uh, that's the idea behind it. Uh, it's a one-way street. But anyway, you give them that, that phone, and but th what is the key? They have to keep charging the phone. You have to keep recharging it every day. It has to be constantly recharged or, you won't, or you'll lose your power. And that's the same picture of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. We get the cell phone from God, right? But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to recharge our batteries constantly. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 talks about that, remember? <clears throat> In Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Lord Jesus for everything. Everything, always giving thanks to, uh, I got a block. Uh, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, I'm getting old, getting old, almost 60. But anyway, uh, but that, the idea is that we're commanded to be filled. It doesn't say fill yourself. It's commanded to allow yourself to be filled. And how? By, by worshiping and in the word and fellowship and giving thanks. That's how the, we allow the Holy Spirit to recharge our spiritual batteries, to, re, to fill us. He's always there. But instead of grieving him or, or resisting him, we allow him to, to fill us and, 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 fill, and fill our energy, right? And the proof of the Holy Spirit, the proof that we've received the Holy Spirit by faith, the proof that we are being filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, the proof is not some emotional experience. It's not this emotional experience, but it's the fruit 
the fruit. I know people say, oh, I've been, had this happen to me and this happened to me and baptism of the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. And, but there's no fruit. And, I, and I, I, sometimes they come around and say, I'm looking for fruit. That's what I'm looking for. Not some experience that you claim you had, but the fruit is the key. That is the proof that the Holy Spirit is really there, that he's filling us. But the fruit, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That shows that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us. It shows that we have the Holy Spirit. We're allowing him to fill us. And, and it's, that's way more important than anybody, any spiritual gifts that we claim we have and, you know, and, and have and you know, any kind of experience we have. This is way more important because this is something that every Christian on earth should agree on. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the key. That's the key. Okay? So, so. Some people believe, though, that what happened in Acts 2 must happen for every Christian after they put their faith in Jesus Christ. There are some that say that we must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then speak in tongues. And there's a lot of Christians that, that believe that, okay? But I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true. I think this was a special event to show, to prove that the Holy Spirit had come upon the apostles and, and, and that they now had the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the same thing happens with the Gentile believers in Acts 19, okay? Just look what happened. They spoke in actual human languages in order to witness for Jesus Christ. That's what they did. Well, this still happens occasionally today. I've talked to missionaries and people in countries where there's no Bible, and they share that same wild story. The, the Holy Spirit can still empower someone to speak in a different tongue, no doubt about it. But the vast majority of tongues practiced today, at least we'll say in the USA today, the vast majority is a prayer language of tongues from 1 Corinthians 14. That's what the vast majority that people practice, okay? Very little speaking in other languages and witnessing with that, that language. It happens, but very little. The vast majority is the prayer language of 1 Corinthians 14. But, and even if we, even if we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even if you believe that and you believe you've received it, tongues is just one manifestation, one manifestation. 2 Corinthians 12, and 2 Corinthians 12, 7, 11, listen to what it says. <clears throat> Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. There are many manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Tongues is just one of them, okay? One, one way that the Holy Spirit can manifest and show his power. Okay, so having said that, New Hope Community Church, let's connect some dots because folks here have different positions on the Holy Spirit. We all agree here that you receive the Holy Spirit by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. We all agree on that. That's, that's a gimme here, okay? Uh, when we, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, give your life to him, we receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but some believe here 
Some of you believe that you can also receive a second dose, all right? A baptism, a blessing, an empowerment, whatever you want to call it, along with tongues, along with tongues, okay? That is no problem if you believe that at our church, as long as you're not militant. <laughs> uh, you're not a militant, what I call militant Pentecostal. As long as you're, you're in militant Militant Pentecostals, they have like this pride, you know. Oh, we're, we have it and you don't, you know. They have this attitude, you know. And that, that's a problem. Or they, or they look down on other people if they haven't experienced that. Speak baptism with tongues. Or they, they talk down. Oh, oh, that reason the pastor, he's not anointed, you know. Or, or the, the worship's not anointed, you know, because they've never done that, you know. You know I hear it all. I, I've heard it all. In 35 years of ministry, I've heard it all. You know, that person's got these issues because they're not anointed, you know. They, they've never spoken in tongues, you know. It's like, a, it's like children of a lesser God, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it, 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 it's like there, there, there's that militant. And I tell folks, I tell them right up front. If you believe all must receive the baptism and speak in tongues or you're a second-class Christian, you're in the wrong church. I tell them right up front. Believe me. I tell them right up front. Others here, others here at NHCC believe that we're going to get all we're, we get all we're going to get at salvation. And there's no more baptism or gifts. Some of you have a, what I, that is called a cessationist view. Right? There's no more baptism, there's no more spiritual gifts of that type, uh, manifestations, and that's called cessationism. That is no problem. I tell people that is no problem as long as you're not militant. <laughs> as long as you're not militant. And, if, and what I mean by that is some people, they're so militant about it, they think that anybody who does believe in that or speak in tongues is delusional or even demonic. You know, and so yeah, there's there's that view too. And I tell people all the time, if you believe the Holy Spirit's not for today, and that those people who do believe it is for today are crazy, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong church. Do you see my point? Both sides, I think, are distortions, or or not even both sides. You can have a position, but it's the attitude. It's the mercy and grace that you have. It's the attitude that you have toward other people that have a different position on it. Because we all agree the Holy Spirit, we have him at salvation. And the other stuff, we all believe we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We all believe that we ha should have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The other stuff is not something we should be dividing, for, dividing over or looking down on each other. That's the issue. When someone has that spirit and they look down on the other side and they criticize the other side that that is the problem that is a problem and and at nhcc we agree on and focus on what is biblically clear we receive the holy spirit at salvation uh, when we put our faith in jesus and we all agree that we all agree that we need the holy spirit's power to live right we need to, to, to live the christian life and to live out our faith and to witness to people we all agree on that right yeah and, and yes, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but we have to keep constantly filling. We all agree on that. And, and this is the key. We, we all focus on that. But I, I believe that we all, that the Holy Spirit can still, after everything I've said, the Holy Spirit can still pour out in a powerful way. Call it whatever you want. Whatever you want to call it, I don't care. We, the Holy Spirit can still pour out on us in a powerful way. Powerful way. We see this all throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit moving in powerful ways, fall, pouring out. We see it in church history. The Holy Spirit moving in powerful ways, revivals and spiritual awakenings. We see it in U.S. 
history. USA church history, we see the Holy Spirit pouring out in powerful ways. I love to read about revivals. You know, I love revival. I pray for revival all the time. Uh, recently, I was just reading uh, about the Great Awakening uh, in the 1700s. And listen to this. Listen to this. Tell me what this sounds like. On New Year's Day, 1739, Charles and John Wesley, George Whitfield, and four other members of the Holy Club, plus about 60 other like-minded people, held a love feast in London at Fetters Lane about 3 in the morning as we were continuing instant in prayer. Hmm. The power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy. And many fell to the ground, overcome by the power of God. As soon as we recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. This event has been called the Methodist Pentecost. Five nights later, eight of these Methodists, yes, Methodists, well, I'm not going to go with that. Methodists used to be spirit-filled. I'm just going to leave it there. And there still are some great Bible-believing Methodists. Five nights later, eight of these Methodists prayed and discussed till the early morning hours and left with a conviction that God was about to do great things. Another night that week, the group then met and spent the whole night in prayer. And then what they expected God to do amazing things, and that's exactly what happened. Whitfield, right after that, Whitfield preached with great unction and power. He was only 22 years old. But wherever he spoke, crowds flocked to hear him. Rooms were filled with praying students. He, he wrote, I sleep little. Had I a thousand hands, I would employ them. I want a thousand tongues to praise them. He still works by me more and more. In the opening days of the great revival, it was Whitfield more than Wesley who dared to innovate and lead. When Whitfield preached at a certain church in England, the crowd was so great the churchyard was overfilled. People couldn't fit anymore. God led Whitfield to go outdoors to preach because then the churches closed them because God was working so powerfully. The, the apostate pastors closed their churches to him. Uh, he would go outdoors. He preached in his first open-air sermon to a congregation of 200 and launched a new day in gospel history. Crowds swelled day by day until some 20,000 gathered. Some of the wealthy sat in coaches and others on horsebacks. Some sat in trees. Everywhere, uh, people crowded the ground to hear Whitfield preach. At time, he was moved to, to tears. as the Spirit of God gripped them. Within six weeks, Wesley took his place at Whitfield's side. He didn't preach with emotion. He just preached matter-of-factly, and the Holy Spirit poured out. Both of them had huge crowds wherever they went. Came to the USA, the Great Awakening, huge crowds, just a massive numbers of coming to, to faith, coming to revival. Christians waking up. Finney. And you can read story after story like this when God was getting ready to move powerfully, just like in Acts chapter 2. Charles Finney, on New Year's Day, uh, I'm reading the one, hold on, got the wrong one. Charles Finney in the USA, uh, 1821. 
1821, while praying alone in the woods outside the village, Finney experienced a powerful conversion. This is when he became a Christian. That evening in his small office, he had a vision that that he fell weeping at Jesus' feet. I received the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without expecting it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard of the thing mentioned by any person in the world. At a moment entirely unexpected by me, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me body and soul. The next day, Finney began witnessing the people. That evening, through, through, though no announcement had been made, he saw people from all over the village going to the place where the prayer meeting was generally held. Word had spread through the village. that Finney had been converted. Then he decided to go himself. When he got there, the house was packed, but no one said anything. Then Finney arose. He recounted his testimony. People were gripped by the Holy Spirit. The minister rose to his feet and confessed that he believed that he had been a stumbling block in the way of the church. He asked Finney to lead in prayer. God anointed Finney as he prayed his first public prayer. From that time on, they had a prayer meeting every evening. Revival had begun. It spread across all classes of people and extended out beyond the village in all directions. And it created another huge revival all over the United States. He went over to England, took it back again, returned the favor to Wesley's and Whitfield's. Massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Call it what you want. Acts chapter 2 the whole book of Acts, church history, American church history, call it what you want, but the Holy Spirit can still pour out in a powerful, powerful way. And we know know that we will definitely see at least one more great work of the Holy Spirit, another amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2 talks about this very thing. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Uh, No, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For there will be deliverance. Uh, for, for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord has called and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. There will be another Pentecost, another outpouring of the Holy Spirit as we enter the end times and get closer to the time of Jesus Christ's second coming. There will be another, just like at, in the book of Acts, there will be another massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason why. Because the Holy Spirit's going to move and save many, many people in the time of Revelation. And, gonna, and we're going to be persecuted and go through many persecutions, just like the book of Acts. 
We're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been listening to my uh, online re uh, Daniel Revelation series, whew, you're missing what, what we're going to be facing. You're going to see why we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit as we enter this time. But we don't have to wait for that time. Well, we may be in it. It may already be beginning, right? But we don't have to wait for that time. God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit now. He wants us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit now. The church in America, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. USA Today, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to live by that power now, and that's what communion is all about. That's what communion is all about. It's a reminder. Are we connected? Are we communing? Are we connected? Is that phone, the Holy Spirit, being charging us up? Are we connected to the Holy Spirit's power? Are we praying for that and, and, and living in the Spirit and, and the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us every day? Are we doing that? Have you ever, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian yet, have you ever received the Holy Spirit by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? Have you ever called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Just like Joel 2 talks about. Have you ever called on the name of the Lord? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? And the moment you do that, you can commune anytime. That's what communion is all about. It's a reminder that, that Jesus gave his body and blood on that cross so that we could be saved from our sin, so that we could receive the Holy Spirit's power, so that we could live a whole new life. Have you ever, rece have you ever received Jesus Christ and received his Holy Spirit? Have you ever done that? That's what communion is a reminder of, and you can do that today. You can do that right now. We're going to pray in just a moment. You can do that right now. Wherever you are watching this, wherever you are, you can do that right now. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what communion is all about. It's a reminder that, we, we, that Jesus died for us. We can have the Holy Spirit. We can live in the Spirit. We get a need to stay connected to God. What it is? Once again, I mentioned it, we, we have little cups. Everybody's got their own little cup now. Uh, we do it differently with the whole COVID thing. But, you, but, the, but the, the, the bread represents the body of Jesus that he gave on that cross for us. And the, 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 the grape juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ that, that he shed for us so our sins could be washed and forgiven. That's what they represent. And in just a few moments, our worship team is going to lead some worship, and you're going to be able to take that during that time. There's, only, there's, only, there's a reason why you shouldn't take it. The reason you shouldn't take it is you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. Then wait. But I hope you do that today. You can do that today, right now. Or if you, there's a sin in your life that you will not release, you will not surrender to God, you're not, you're not giving it up, you say, God, you can have everything but this one thing, then don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. But I hope that because of the Holy Spirit's conviction today, you would give it up. You would surrender it to God. You say, God, whatever it takes, take it. I don't want it anymore. I repent. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Set me free. I'll talk to whoever I have to talk to to stay free. Whatever I have to do, I will stay free. Because anyone can take the Lord's Supper. Anyone can take communion. He wants us to connect with him. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? as we go into this time of prayer leading into communion. Maybe you're here today or hearing this today 
and you realize that you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. But today can be that day. You can say, God, I want your Holy Spirit in me. I don't want the sin anymore. I repent of that. I don't want the guilt and shame anymore. I ask that you would forgive me because I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. What he did for me on that cross, dying for me, what he did with his resurrection, coming back alive for me, I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. I want that new life you've promised, God. Fill me. I put my faith in Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And while we're praying about that, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to the rest of us? Maybe we've already put our faith in Jesus, but are we living by the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we daily, have we, are we daily filling? Is there fruit? Do people see the fruit of the Spirit in our life? Are we, are we looking for God to pour out powerfully upon our life? Are we willing to, re, to receive an anointing like Wesley and Whitfield and Finney talked about? Do we see how desperately we need that? as individuals and as a church. Father, I pray that every one of us would be connected to you and to the power of your spirit. We pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would come upon us in this communion time that we would see you do amazing things in and through us. We need your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you can take communion now. It's wide open. And not only today, but anytime you can commune with God now. But I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Tell me on the way out or... Tell somebody that you know who's a Christian, family member, friend, tell someone because so we can be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith.